Read with me, please. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful man and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So in Luke 24, as uh, Pat has just read, we hear the account of what happened that Sunday morning, that first day of the week after Jesus had been crucified. Jesus had uh, been crucified on the cross. He had died that Friday before. He had been buried. And then all day Saturday, nothing going on. And then early on the first day of the week, these women make their way out to the tomb, and nothing is the way it's supposed to be. They go out to a tomb uh, to do what they would normally do, and they find the tomb empty. I want to draw our attention just by way of introduction to the question that they were asked by the angels inside that empty tomb. It's down in verse 5 of Luke 24. The angels asked the women this, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why? Uh, why is a pretty vague question. Uh, they're trying to get a motivation, I suppose. But here's a couple of things that question was not intended to do and wasn't intended to draw out of the women as the angels asked this question. Uh, first of all, the angels weren't trying to gain more information. Uh, the angels uh, weren't lacking information, and so asking the women a question to fill in the gaps of their account of what happened uh, during that weekend, that's not at all why the angels were asking this question. They weren't short on information. The other thing the angels weren't doing was they weren't asking this question as a way to accuse or, or mock the women as they were um, there in an empty tomb. They weren't making fun of them. Why are you seeking the living among the dead? They weren't making fun of them or mocking them or accusing them of being short on faith. What were they, were, what were they doing as they asked this question of these women in this empty tomb? What they were trying to do was to get them to think to get them to think about the realities of the situation and to help them to see with clear eyes. Because here's what was going on. The, some assumptions were being made by these women as they visited the tomb, and the angels wanted to gently help these folks understand that their assumptions didn't line up with reality. That there was what was really going on, and the assumptions they were making as they entered into the situation weren't lining up with reality. So the question 
was intended to refocus the attention of the questioners and get them to pay attention to what was actually uh, happening. So what do we gain by looking at this question? Why do you seek the living among uh, the dead? The, what we gain from looking at this passage, besides celebrating the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead, one of the significant things we can gain from this is to confront our own assumptions. That's the whole idea of having this question asked, not only to these women, but even to ourselves. What assumptions are we making about reality that need confronting, and how can this question allow those assumptions to be confronted? How can we refocus and reorient our eyes to see things the way they really are? So let's begin at the beginning, verses 1 uh, through 3 of Luke chapter 24. Why, we might ask, why do you think he is dead? Why do you think he is dead? Here's the verses again. Pat just read them, but I'm going to read them again just by way of review. On the first day of the week at early dawn, they, that is these women, went to the tomb taking spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away and they went in, but they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They're going to the tomb to do what they normally do in this kind of situation. And the question they're going to be confronted with is, why do they think he is dead. Now, we are faced with these kind of realities in our current situation of social distancing quite a bit. Uh, we have particular things we do when people die. When people die, whether you're religious or not religious, there are things we do. Usually, we get together with family and friends. There might be a memorial service. There might be a funeral. There might be a celebration service. There might be a graveside funeral. There might be a wake afterwards at somebody's house where there's going to be a meal served, and it'll be more of a, a celebration. Why do we do all of these things? Because it's one of the ways that we grieve. We get together and we acknowledge to one another, we're saddened by the loss we've experienced. We acknowledge with one another, it is good and right and fitting to mourn. And now, as we've discovered in our current situation where we're not supposed to get together, even for a funeral, it feels so strange to not have the opportunity to do what ought to be done when somebody has passed. How are we going to remember, mourn, and grieve if we can't get together and have a, a funeral, a memorial, or a celebration? And the same was true at Jesus' time. These women were doing what ought to be done. Somebody has passed. They are placed into a tomb, and that is where their body would lay as it reduced. It would decompose over time, months and even years. And later on, it would be removed from the tomb and stored in a more permanent location, uh, usually somewhere near the residents, what had not uh, gone away with the sake of time. And it was normal and customary to go and during this process to apply spices and perfumes. So as this process goes on, there isn't the discomforting uh, odor that might occur. And so the question is, these women are doing what is normally done when somebody has died. And what they did was normal, grieving and preparing. And what the angels are asking them is, why do you think this is normal? Why do you think he is here to do what is normally done for the dead? Look what happened just a few minute, a few days earlier. This is uh, just uh, earlier in Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 50. After Jesus had died on the cross, there was a man named Joseph from Arimathea. He was a member of the council and he was a righteous man. He had not consented to the council's decision to crucify Christ. In fact, he was looking for the kingdom of God. 
After Jesus died, it says in verse 52, he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. He took Jesus' body, he wrapped it in linen, and he laid it in a tomb that had been cut out of stone. No one had been placed in that tomb up to this point. It was the day of preparation. That means it was the day of before the Sabbath where everybody gets everything together so that on the day of Sabbath, they don't have to do any of their customary work. The women had followed him out to the tomb, so they knew exactly where it was, it says in verse 55. Then in verse 56, they returned and prepared spices and ointments. They knew on Sabbath day they wanted to observe the Sabbath, so they wouldn't be able to prepare the spices that they want to apply on Sunday, the first day of the week. So on the day of Jesus' death, the women prepared in advance for this task, and they prepared their ointments, and on the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. And the question they have to be confronted with is, why do they think he's going to be dead on Sunday? What is going on in their thinking that they presume that just because he died on Friday, he will still be dead on Sunday? All of this had been discussed by Jesus in advance. Jesus had told them he had to go and die. In fact, the angels are going to remind the women of this later. Jesus, on that Friday night, was betrayed by Judas. He was abandoned by all of his disciples. He was handed over to the Romans, and they crucified him on a cross between two common criminals. After hours and hours of agony at his uh, discretion, and when he determined it was time, Jesus cried out, it is finished, and he breathed his last, and he died, and he was all the way dead. His dead body was taken off of the cross and buried in a tomb, and everybody went home. The women prepared their spices. All of this was done, Jesus told us, in all of his teachings. All of this was done in order to pay the payment for the rebellion of sinners, which is all of humankind. Jesus died on the cross to bear upon himself the guilt and shame of our rebellion. And he went into the tomb and bore on us the consequences of our sin, which is death. And that is what is. That is the reality of the situation as far as the women which were concerned. Jesus was killed on a Roman cross and is now buried in a tomb. And they take all of that information. We saw him on the cross. We saw him not breathing. We saw him wrapped tightly in linens. We saw a gigantic stone placed over that tomb. All of the information tells them Jesus is dead. And what do you do with that? What do you do with that when everything you had hoped for is now gone? When death is so final, everything, all of their dreams, all of their hopes, all of their aspirations in knowing what Jesus was proclaiming and we're now destroyed and we're laying buried in an unused tomb. And what do you do with that grief? And many of us have been through that before. We know what grief is like. We know what mourning is like. And they do what many of us do. One of the most busy times of a person's life is when somebody close to them dies. There's a mountain of paperwork to be processed. There's all kinds of things to be taken care of. And many of us, as a way of distracting ourselves from that deep heartache... We get busy, busy putting things together. And that's precisely what these women did. Hey, there are certain things that need to be done. There are certain things that need to be taken care of. There is a sense of normalcy that comes from preparing the spices for burial. There's a sense of routine that comes that distracts uh, from the destruction that has occurred. Well, listen, we know what to do. 
We, we prepare spices when somebody dies, and we can get back into a normal routine. It feels more comforting to say, we know what to do when somebody is dead, than to somehow imagine he's not dead. They wander out there on the first day of the week. They wander out there on that Sunday morning. Dawn had just broken, meaning Sabbath was officially over. And they go out to that tomb, and and the stone was moved away. And if we compare this with the account from Matthew, Matthew says there was a great earthquake. And the way the wording is done between the, the Gospels, there's a sense not just that the stone was was rolled out from in front of the entrance to the tomb. Uh, this, this was a very large stone. It weighed uh, tons, and it was in a channel that was dug out. So it would roll back and, and forth. There's a sense the stone wasn't just merely rolled back, but it was tossed aside. They walked up to the tomb, and the tomb was open, and the stone is is over off to the side somewhere. And, and in their minds, they're trying to figure out what's going on. They don't have a category. They don't have a way of arranging the information that's coming in. And they walk into the, to the tomb. The stone has been cast aside, and there's no body there. The, the linens are there, but there's no body there. Where is the body of Jesus? What's going on here? The question is, why are they in a tomb? They're asking their, themselves this question. Jesus is dead. We know this is the tomb he was buried in. We know there's no way that somebody could throw that stone to the side. The body is gone. What is going on here? And they're perplexed by it. They're, they're astounded by it. The body is gone. So there's two options here with Jesus' body being gone. Either Jesus is alive, which they haven't confronted yet in their own minds, or all of his disciples will soon be dead. Because if Jesus is dead, and now the authorities are confiscating his body, where do you think the authorities are going to go next? They realize that maybe this thing isn't going to quietly go away with Jesus being dead. Maybe there's more going on here. Either he is alive, or all hope is lost, and they still have much to fear. And the question the angels are going to confront them with, with all of the the devastation they have faced in these moments, is this. Why are you seeking the living among the dead? Why do you think he's dead? Now, each one of us need to confront ourselves with this question. Each one of us needs to confront ourselves with the reality that Easter is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And either Easter is just a cute notion of cultural sensibility where we get together and eat some candy and whatever, or Jesus is actually alive. And the question each and every one of us needs to ask is that why question. Not do you think he's dead, not do you think he's alive. The question the angels ask that needs to confront our assumptions that needs to confront our sensibilities is this. Why do you think he's dead? Why must he be dead? And the angels are going to confront that. We're going to save that for the end. They come to the tomb and it's open. Nothing about this situation is normal. They walk in, the tomb is open, and then angels show up. Everything about this situation uh, does not have a place in their sense of reality. The body is gone, the linens is left, and nothing is about this moment is normal. So let's continue on in Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 4. Why do you seek him if he's dead? Why do you seek him if he's dead? If Jesus is dead, what is the point of seeking him? Now, there have been many pointless 
uh, tasks throughout history. And here's one pointless job I read about this week. There was a security guard. I think he was over in Europe. He was a security guard that worked at a museum, and he had a particular room that he was guarding. It was his job to make sure that uh, everything in that room was safe, was not touched, uh, that people kept their distance from everything they were supposed to, and all the artifacts were kept perfectly pristine, nothing was taken. So he was in charge of this room. There was one problem with this room, according to this security guard, is the room was completely empty. There was absolutely nothing in this room. And he was told to guard this room. That was his job. He was told to make sure nobody went in, and if they did went in, they didn't, if they did go in, they weren't to touch anything, and this room was completely empty. He pointed this out, and they said, listen, your job is to guard this room. That's your job. Do you want the job or not? And he said this, well, what should I do if something does happen? Say a fire alarm goes off, or there is an alert from some other area of the museum. What is my job, given the fact that the room is empty, when an alert is sounded? They said, that is very easy. When an alert is sounded, you're to leave the the museum. Well, shouldn't I stay here to make sure the room I'm guarding is guarded? No, no, no. As soon as anything goes wrong, you're to leave as quickly as possible and get out of the museum. And he said this was the most pointless job he had ever had, but every two weeks the paycheck showed up. So he figured I can guard an empty room if they're going to keep writing paychecks. It was pointless. And here's what the angels want us to understand about Jesus. If Jesus is dead... Hear me clearly. If Jesus is dead, seeking him is as pointless as guarding an empty room in a museum. If Jesus is dead, seeking him is pointless. However, if Jesus is alive, the angels are saying to these women, what in the world are you doing in a tomb? If Jesus is dead, why in the world would you bother even taking the time to get up early to come out to this tomb? And if he is alive, why in the world did you come out to a tomb? Why do you seek him if he's dead? See, angels have this very unique position that many of us might be a little bit envious of. They have that unique position of sort of being able to operate on both sides of the realm of the material and the spiritual. They, they're like a stagehand who can see what's going on on the stage, but they also get to look behind the curtain and see what's going on in the background. And the angels here see what's going on in the stage, Jesus crucified and Jesus buried, but they can also see behind the curtain and they say, what are you doing in a tomb? He is not here. Jesus is written. Their question to the, Jesus is risen, I should say. Their question here is just a matter of fact. It's a very straightforward question. He's alive. Why in the world would you be in a grave? He's alive. What is the point of coming out here and uh, seeing him? Look again at verse 4 of Luke 24. While they were perplexed about this, two men stood next to them with dazzling apparel. Uh, They were frightened, so they bowed down. And the angels, of course, asked this question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Pay attention to... So what they remind them of. He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day, excuse me, rise. On the third day, rise. The angels remind the women that Jesus has been teaching about his death, burial, and resurrection since the days when he was teaching around the Sea of Galilee, which at this time would seem like ancient history ago. He had been teaching about his death, burial, and resurrection for a long time. 
This wasn't a mystery. If anybody was paying attention, they would have understood what he was saying. But they didn't understand what he was saying because most of them wanted desperately for him to not die. And so they presumed maybe that he was just being figurative and just making a metaphor. He had to die in a spiritual sense through personal humility. But what Jesus was telling them was the truth. I have to actually die and three days later be raised from the dead. And they're saying, look, he's been teaching about this and he is not here. He has risen from the dead. So you seek the risen Savior in order to find life. What he's telling them is believe what he told you. He told you it quite plainly. He had to suffer and die on a cross to pay the penalty for all of our sin and all of our rebellion. And he had to raise from the dead in order that all of those who are in Christ would be able to raise with him one day. The whole plan here is to redeem sinners from their rebellion and give them the opportunity through Christ to live with God forever in complete forgiveness because of his grace and his holiness. That's been the whole plan the whole time. And now he has died and now he has been buried and they had forgotten somehow that he would be raised from the dead. This is good news. The good news is because he died on the cross, everybody who is willing to admit that they are a sinner and a rebel against God can receive forgiveness. And anyone who would trust in him can be guaranteed new life forever because Jesus is raised from the dead. Jesus accomplished the plan of the ages. This plan was put in place all the way back in the book of Genesis, and it was repeated in the book of Exodus, and in every book of the Old Testament, all the way up until the New Testament when Jesus died on the cross. It has always been God's plan to save rebels by sending a sacrifice that could pay for their sin. And that's exactly what Jesus did. We can gain forgiveness for everything we've ever done wrong because Jesus died on the cross for us. He paid all of the penalty for us, and because he is risen, we can live with him one day forever. So why would they be seeking him among the dead? To find Jesus is to find life. There is no reason to seek him among dead things. To find Jesus is to find life, and the way we find Jesus is to repent and believe. What does it mean to repent? Well, repent means basically this, to turn around. Uh, you repent all the time to save your own life. Uh, if you're walking into a crosswalk and you see a city bus coming, you will repent, turn around, and walk the other way so you don't get hit by a bus, and thereby receiving salvation from death by bus. And that's a good thing to do. I recommend you continue repenting in this way whenever you're about to get hit by a bus. You do the same thing when we come to the Lord. We come to the Lord and we realize we're about to get run over by the bus, but the bus is our rebellion against God, where we've been telling him our whole life, I know what's right. What's right is whatever I want. Whatever I desire is right. Whatever I want to do is good. And God, you don't get to tell me what I ought to do and what I ought not to do. And the Bible tells us quite clearly that way of thinking will kill us because it separates us from God and his ways and leaves us to our own devices and we don't have the ability to stay alive forever on our own. If we want to maintain our own autonomy and to maintain our own rule over our life, God allows us to do that. But that ensures that the only life we will live is this one, and when this life is over, we will be separated from God forever. But what God says is turn from that way. 
turn from that way that says life is only temporary and instead receive forgiveness where we admit, God, a lot of things that I want and a lot of things that I do say or think are not your ways. And I want to turn from those things and receive forgiveness by trusting that what Jesus did on the cross paid for my rebellion. And we have to turn away from ruling our own life and instead say, God, you are in fact God and you want to do the best thing there is for me, which is give me life forever in Jesus Christ because he died on the cross for me. And because he has risen from the dead, I will participate in resurrection with him after I die. As someone once said, for the person in Christ, death is not deadly. There is another life coming, the actual life we were intended to live, which is life with God forever. To find Jesus is to find eternal life, but it means we have to turn from our ways and come to God in faith to receive forgiveness and say his ways are not our ways. Why do you think he's dead? Why do you seek him if he's dead? So what's the problem that gets in the way of this? I mean, what I've explained is very, very simple. Trust Jesus, get forgiveness, live forever. Don't trust Jesus, don't get forgiveness, die and be separated from God forever. What is What gets in the way of this? And, and, and the simple answer is belief. We don't believe it. But you know, there's, there's more to it than just that. Why is it so hard to believe? Look at uh, Luke 24, beginning in verse 8. The women, they remembered uh, the words of Jesus and they returned from the tomb and they went back to the 11, the 11 disciples and, and, and all the rest who were with them. And it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and some other women, probably half a dozen women or more. And they told the disciples, the 11 apostles, everything that they had saw. And listen, we saw an empty tomb, body was gone, linens were there, two angels showed up. They asked us, why do we seek the living among the dead? Uh, looks like he's risen from the dead. Verse 11. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. Listen. These are people who walked with Jesus. These are people who heard Jesus teaching. These are people who knew what Jesus had to say. And he died on the cross and they knew his teaching about his plan of redemption. And here the women are saying it's working out exactly the way that he said it would. And these guys don't believe them. Peter got up, it says in verse 12, he ran and he rose to the tomb and he stooped down and he looked in, he saw the linen sitting there by himself and he went home marveling at what had happened, trying to figure out what happened. Why is it so hard to believe? Think about it this way. If you go out to your car and you go to start your car, it won't start. Uh, and you say, well, my car won't start. something wrong with it. You know what? I, I know what the problem is. My car won't start. Obviously, the key is broken. I need to get a new key. Certainly, if I replace this key, the car will start fine. Oh, I know. There's a spare key up in the house. I'll go up to the house, get the spare key, and try that one. I mean, does that sound like a reasonable thing to do at all? Absolutely not. It sounds ridiculous. The, the key is not the problem. The problem is the, the battery is dead or the, or the starter uh, is out or there's something wrong in the computer system uh, in the car. The key is not the problem. Well, that's what we tend to think. But the problem is with belief is, is I don't have enough information. If I had a little bit more information, then I could believe. Pay attention to the people in Luke chapter 24. Who is going into that tomb? Peter. 
Is Peter short on information? What has Peter seen Jesus do and teach? He knew Jesus came to redeem sinners. He knew Jesus said he was going to die on the cross and raise again. He had seen Jesus raise somebody from the dead, Lazarus, probably a week or so earlier. Peter understood who Jesus was and what he could do. What other information could he need? Well, maybe he would need to know the tomb was actually empty. He went to the tomb himself and saw that it was empty. He saw the linens there, not a simple feat to leave the linens there. Because the linens would have been wrapped around the body. And you would have to unwrap it. And that might have been challenging after a couple of days in a tomb. So Peter had all of the information. The difficulty of belief is not an information problem. We need to understand this. We don't have a problem believing because we don't have enough information. We have a problem believing because our heart has a trust problem. The information given to all of the 11, the, the information given to Peter was consistent with all of Jesus' teaching. But believing is hard because believing requires our heart to be in a particular place, a place of trust. A place where we say, I trust what God is up to and I will yield myself to him and put my life into his hands. But see, the problem is, and one of the reasons belief is so hard for us is we want to believe God as long as his plan is to come into our life and make our life much, much, much better. That's what our heart wants. Our heart wants God to finally acknowledge we know what's best. Understand this. When Peter was in the tomb and he saw the tomb was empty, he wasn't thinking to himself, Jesus is risen from the dead. Oh, this could really work out for me. I'm really hoping that a risen Jesus can help me maximize my potential as a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. I really hope. I mean, before I was a relatively successful fisherman, but I'm really hopeful that the, the risen Savior, now that I know how much power he actually has, will keep my nets full for all of time. But see, that's how we think about God nowadays, don't we? We say, sure, I want Jesus as long as he's going to make things go better for me. I want Jesus as long as he's going to make my problems go away. I want Jesus as long as he removes some of the inconveniences of my life. I want a risen Savior who will finally figure out who knows what's best. We have a belief problem that has nothing to do with the information. We have a belief problem because our heart is rebellious. This happened in the Garden of Eden, where we decided that our ways are better. And if we could have everything God offers without having to put up with that pesky old God, then that's exactly what we would do. Belief is not an information problem. It's a rebellion problem. Most of us would gladly believe in a risen Savior if he promised to give us our three wishes. But that's not what a risen Savior does. A risen Savior comes to give us new life. New life with him because he knows our rebellious hearts have no way of discerning what's best for us. But the risen Savior has all of the wisdom of the universe, and he knows exactly what's best for us. Why is it so hard to believe? Because even if Jesus is risen from the dead, what we really hope is he rose from the dead to confirm everything I've always wanted was good. And Jesus did not rise from the dead just to make us realize everything we always wanted is good. Peter's at the tomb thinking, Jesus is alive. Can you imagine what's going through his mind? Can you imagine what's going through Peter's mind? What was the last thing Peter did 
when Jesus was alive. He betrayed him. He denied him three times, and Jesus knew it. Peter had to already be thinking, the Son of God has risen. God is raised in his glory. And the first time I'm going to see him, I'm going to have to confront the reality of my sin. Jesus is risen. So either Jesus is alive and we can find hope in him, or Jesus is not alive and the only hope we will have is whatever we can squeeze out of this life in the here and now. Those are the only two options and Peter knew it. Either Jesus is alive and we can find hope that will last forever in him by turning to him, or Jesus is not alive and the only hope we have now is to squeeze whatever hope and joy we can out of this short life. Peter marveled, it says there in the last verse. Jesus, or Peter went home marveling at what happened. Is he alive? Because that seems too good to be true. And the fact is, it is too good. Jesus, the Son of God, rose from the dead that we might have life with him forever. But it's not too good to be true. It's too good, but it is true because God is that gracious and that merciful and that, that kind. See, the thing about God's heart is God wants us to be with him. God desires our company and our presence and our worship. And through Jesus, he made a way for us to have right relationship with him by having all of our sin forgiven. Through Jesus, we have forgiveness. Through Jesus, we have life. It's just a matter of trust. Why do you think he's dead? Why do you seek him if he's dead? Why is it so hard to believe? Just a couple of quick questions to have you think about as we prepare to close. First thing I want to mention to you, Jesus isn't normal. Jesus isn't trying to fit into your normal life. What Jesus wants to do is give you new life in him. Jesus didn't raise from the dead to take our uh, mediocre life and make it a little bit better of a mediocre life. Jesus died and rose from the dead that he might give us brand new life that will last forever. In fact, new life in him that lasts forever and new life that is so good, we are willing to endure whatever we need to endure in the here and now. Jesus isn't normal. Jesus isn't trying to fit into our life. He is calling us to abandon our normal life and instead find out how we fit into his life, which lasts forever. Why do you think he's dead? One of the reasons that we think Jesus is dead is because in our minds, we have reduced him to a genie intended to fit into the empty spots of our soul. And that's not what Jesus came to die for. And that's not the reason Jesus rose to new life. He rose to new life to call us out of our empty life and to find fullness in him. Next question, I'm going to ask you what the angels asked. Why do we seek the living among the dead? All of the world is passing away. And many of us are looking for something that will give life meaning, significance, something that will return the spice to life and the excitement and something to draw us out of the mundane. Uh, what do we do? How do we find life in life when life seems to be ebbing? And what we do is we seek to find the living power of Christ in places where there is no life. We seek it in security. If we have enough money saved up in the bank account and we know everything's going to be okay, then I don't have to worry anymore. Why do we seek the living among the dead? 
If we, we are empty and alone, we seek meaningful relationships. So maybe a good marriage, or maybe a relationship on the side, or maybe a text relationship with a coworker we know is out of line. Well, give me that spice I need to find life and to feel alive again. Why do we, why do we seek the living among the dead? Maybe we seek significance and importance. We want a reputation in our uh, profession and in our community where people look to us with respect and look to us as someone to look up to. Why do we seek the living among the dead? The only place we can find life that has meaning is from the person who walked out of that tomb, and his name is Jesus. Why do we over and over and over again seek the living among the dead? Finally is this. Why is it so hard to believe? It's a heart issue. It has to do with our heart. It's not an information issue. I really want you to understand that. It's not that you don't have enough information. The issue is our heart. The problem with Jesus for our rebellious heart is he is God. The problem with our rebellious heart is I want to be in charge of my life. I want to be the one who determines what ought to be. Jesus is God and he says, I rose from the tomb because I know precisely what your life ought to be and you don't know as well as you think you do. Why is it so hard to believe it's not an information problem? It's not a religious problem. It's a heart problem. Why did the angels ask that question? To get us to confront our assumptions. And I'm asking you to do that even in this moment. What assumptions do you know in your heart need to be confronted? Do you want life in Jesus only if Jesus will fit into your life? That's not a safe assumption. Because he has called you out of a life that is leading to a tomb into him, which is a life that will last forever. Are you assuming that you'll be able to find the meaning of life in this world? The angels would ask, why do we seek the living among the dead? Are you assuming that you'll be able to believe in Jesus when you finally hear that most compelling argument, when you finally get all the information you're craving? You won't. Because belief is a heart issue. As long as I think I know better than God, I will deny that he's risen from the dead. However, if your heart in this moment is being broken, and you say, I need life because there is no life here. If you will come to Christ in faith, he will receive you and give you forgiveness of sins. I pray that you would do that even now.